Well, good morning, everybody. So good to see people down in the front row. Yeah, it's like, I feel kind of important. Anyway, uh, it's so good to see you. My name is Tony Diekman. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to share God's word. And I just have to say thank you to Walt and to our readers uh, this weekend for doing the heavy lifting and those names that are in that text. Selected that text for them to read that way. I don't have to go back and read that text. So I, I want to thank him for like, getting us through that. So uh, we're going to spend some time today in uh, Acts chapter 16 as we continue through the series, Church Made for More, where we have been looking at this picture of what the church is that we see in Acts that's laid out for us, the birth of this church, this young church, and how this church grew and how it became to be. And we see that this church, as they come to see, are, they understand themselves to be part of a bigger story, which means we are part of a bigger story. And this story is about God actually creating this community of people by giving them his spirit and putting their, his spirit within them and naming them as his children. But he doesn't just leave them there to be on their own. He sends them out actually to proclaim the good news of the gospel, this sharing of this good news with the world around them. And he empowers them to do that through the power of the spirit. But he shows them early on it's going to require them to actually get out of their not get out of their comfort zone, but actually grow their comfort zone to where they can actually become more accustomed into wider and cross-cultural areas. And you see this group of people empowered by the Spirit crossing cultures and actually living this awe-inspiring life, which is why today you see a lot of churches claiming to want to get back to the way the church used to be, back into this story of Acts where you see God working and people coming to faith over and over and over again. And so our desire in this series is that we could understand that the church was created for more than we often settle for. And, and today we're going to look and, and kind of piggyback on what was said last week about increasing our comfort zone and seeing that God is calling us into places. And he's calling us into places oftentimes we're not expecting him to call us. And he's showing up in these places, places we don't expect to see him. But when we do learn to to see him and look for him, we experience amazing things. And I want to follow up on what Pastor Nick shared with us last week with this text from Isaiah. The prophet tells us this about our God. That he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I say this because I think we oftentimes underestimate just how far above our ways, our Lord's ways are. And oftentimes we try to paint him into a box and oftentimes it's into that box to meet our expectations, to show up in ways that we desire him to show up in comfortable ways, right? Because that's what expected ways do, right? They, they meet our needs, they fit into our expectations and we like those things because we're comfortable there. We know what to expect. It, nothing takes us by surprise. And so we should learn to learn. I think there's a, there's a slogan from the Marines. It's an unofficial slogan from the Marines I think is good for the church to adapt. And it's called Improvise, Adapt, and Overcome. That's the unofficial Marines logo. Improvise, Adapt, and Overcome. Meaning that improvise is you show up, you're ready to do something when needed without having planned for it. Right? And then you adapt based upon the reaction of what happens. You adapt and you learn to to pivot, and then you overcome the obstacles by learning to improvise and adapt. And I think that's a good model for the church with a few modifications. Right? I think we should be 
people who improvise. Peter says we should always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have to anyone who asks us. Right? We should be prepared to speak the gospel at all times. We should learn to improvise and, and learn to do that wherever we have the opportunity. And we should adapt to those circumstances to what God is doing, looking for where he is working and join him there rather than saying, Lord, bless what I am doing. We look for what God is already blessing and we join him there. Henry Blackaby in his study, Experiencing God, says that's exactly what we should do. Look for where God is already working and join him there. Adapt your plans to his plans. And then watch God overcome what you thought was maybe an insurmountable obstacle. Watch God overcome, which is what he promises to do. He promises to shrink that distance between the head and the heart. That's something called the longest road in the world, right? He promises to shrink that distance. He promises to overcome those obstacles. Our job is to improvise and to adapt and then to watch God overcome. Because when we do that, we get to see life happen. We get to see life take root and, and, and live in places that you and I probably wouldn't go if left to our own comfort zones. You and I probably wouldn't expect God to show up in the places he expects. And so today we're going to dive into chapter 16 a little bit and kind of see where we see this happen, where we see Paul and Silas improvise and adapt and we see God overcome. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning and for your word. We gather here at your beck and call, whether we recognize that or not. We gather here to better understand your ways, acknowledging that your ways are still so far above our own. But you promise that with the spirit that lives in us, that you will remind us of all truth, that you will give us wisdom if we ask. And so we ask you this morning, grant us wisdom to better understand your ways. Grant, grant us wisdom to improvise and adapt and we pray, Lord Jesus, come and overcome our own hearts, our own limitations today. And I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, would be truly pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in the text that we came to today, before that you heard, you heard Walt read, there's this conversation that's taking place, and they take other people with them. He takes Timothy, he takes Silas, and Luke is along because Luke is the one chronicling this. And we see that they have this, Paul has this desire to preach the gospel in Asia. But for some reason and in some way, the Spirit is keeping him from going into Asia. It doesn't tell us how, it just says he is. And so Paul is listening and he's adapting his plans. And so he decides that they're, they're not going to go there. And so they keep going south. And what happens is then he has this dream. And in this dream, there's this man on the shore that says, come to Macedonia. We need your help in Macedonia. And so Paul wakes from his dream, and we surmise that he shared this dream with his traveling companions. And they all conclude that God must be calling them to go there to preach the gospel. So that's what they decide to do. They decide to go to Macedonia. But before we go to Macedonia this morning, I want to kind of give us some context and to help us understand Paul a little bit better, and I think help us understand what it is that Paul is actually preaching and we can better understand ourselves in this situation. At least that's my plan. That's my hope. When we look at Paul and we talk about Paul, Paul is the apostle Paul. He's the one that's credited with writing anywhere from 25 to 50% of the New Testament, depending on who you read. But he wrote a lot of it. 
But that's not who he always has, was. He was a different person. He was a person that was much different than the person we think of typically. And I know those of you that know your Bible know his name used to be Saul. And Saul was not a nice guy from the Christian's perspective. Saul was a guy who, we're told, actually stood there and watched when one of the first apostles, one of the first disciples and followers of Jesus was stoned to death for preaching the gospel. For preaching that Jesus Christ was died and he was buried and he rose to new life and he was the Lord's anointed. He was God. And for preaching that message to the wrong people, he was stoned to death. And we're told at the end of chapter 9, there was a young man standing there where they threw all their coats. His name was Saul. And then we're told, and he approved of that stoning. He approved of the killing of Stephen. And then we're told in the next chapters that he went on a spree of arresting and persecuting Christians. And we're told he went house to house knocking on doors, kind of like the old Gestapo, going and knocking on doors and, and finding Christians and actually putting them in prison and beating them and persecuting them. And he did this over and over again and very effectively because we know because the disciples were afraid of him. And then he takes one day and he gets authority to go to Damascus to actually find Christians there. And on the road to Damascus, he sees something that he didn't expect to see. And that was the risen Jesus. Jesus, the man most likely he stood and watched crucified, the one he believed was dead and their body had been stolen, the one he watched Stephen killed for saying he was alive, believing this whole time this man was dead, an imposter, now this man, Jesus, appears to him on this road to Damascus and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And in this blinding light, Paul is blinded. And he's overcome and he falls to his knees. What do you think Paul's expecting to happen next? What do you expect Paul thinks is going to happen to him next? Here, the risen Jesus, his followers, he's put in prison, he's killed. He's approved of it. He's put his stamp on it. And now here's Jesus, here's God appearing to Saul. What do you think he thinks is going to happen to him? Probably nothing good. But yet, he says, get up and go in to Damascus and see this man named Ananias. I will send you to him and he will help you. And so that's what he does. He gets up and he goes in and finds this man, Ananias. But before he goes in there, right, God appears to Ananias and says, Saul's coming, and I'm going to use him. And Ananias is like, like, Saul? Saul? Like, you know what he's done, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to use him to proclaim the gospel to the Jews and to the Gentiles, and I will show him how much he must suffer for me. And And... Saul shows up, and Ananias ministers to him. And, 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 and pretty short after that, he's not persecuting Christians. He's a Christian himself, and he believes Jesus has been raised from the dead. And he believes the things that he said weren't true. And now he goes about preaching this gospel to people everywhere that will listen to him. 
And when we say gospel, and Paul says gospel, I think we say it in, 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 the, in the language there, it says good news. Right? Good news. And, and, and to the Christians, the early Christians, Paul joining them, Saul joining them, was not good news. But as we read the rest of the story, it turned out to be very good news. Right? Because it's like, do you know what you're doing? I mean, do you know who this man is? And we're reminded God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And he, so he uses Saul very effectively to preach the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ is risen. And Paul gives us a big picture of what that gospel message is, a synopsis in 1 Corinthians 15 where he says that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, came and, and suffered just as the scriptures say and that he was died, he died and was buried and was raised to life in three days, just like the scripture said. And then he appeared to all of these people. He appeared to the disciples. He appeared to 500 people at one time. And then he, last of all, he appeared to me. And I don't deserve that. But he appeared to me. One who persecuted the church. He had mercy on me. See, Paul understands the grace that God gave him that day on the road, the grace that God continued to empower him to live under, and now he can't help but speak about this news to everybody, everywhere he goes, because he understands the mercy that he himself received. God came to give Saul, who we now call Paul, new life, a new purpose with hope. And he, know, he didn't fear God in that way. He wasn't afraid of that punishment. He knew God had come for a purpose. And he was using him for that purpose of sharing that news with the world wherever he went. He looked for where God was working. He joined him there. And he watched God overcome heart after heart after heart. And he knew that because the first person he came, he understood that with was his own heart. Right? His own heart was overcome. That hard heart that that chased down Christians and persecuted them, God melted away that crust and created a new heart in Paul. That's why Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians, he says this, he says, and all this is from God. It's not from me. It's all from him. And he's reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this same ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. He has committed us to that same message. Do you see what he's saying here? He said, Jesus Christ came and gave his life for us to reconcile us to himself so that we could actually be with God, that God could be with us. That's why he came. That was the purpose Jesus was sent, is so that God could be with us, that we could be reconciled, meaning that our sins could be reconciled, could be paid for, the account could be Closed, And he did that by sending his son Jesus to pay that price. And then I want you to read that next line. It says, not counting people's sins against them. See, he punished Christ for the sins of the world. And the message he's dedicated us and commissioned us is to be ambassadors is that message. That God sent Jesus into the world so that he could be with us. And to let the world know that God is no longer counting your sins against you. He counted those all against his son, Jesus. 
And the person who knows that most acutely is Paul. And now Paul's committed to sharing that message with the world because he thought on that road he was done for. But yet God had mercy for him. And now Paul is saying to the world and everyone who listened, that's who God is. He gave his one and only son so that he could be with you. See, what Paul's saying, he did not come to make bad people good, right? He didn't come to make bad people good. If he came to make bad people good, then he failed. Because Jesus says only God is good. Right? But he came to make dead people alive. That's what Paul understands. And that's what Scripture is trying to help us understand. That's why he came. And now he's commissioned us to go and share that news with the world, being ready to improvise, adapt, and to watch God overcome hearts that you thought and would think are, are lost. Improvise, adapt, overcome. That's what we see in this story. We see right away when Paul, on the Sabbath, we're told, goes into this place. And they were going, and they were expecting to pray. Their plans were they were going to go down to this river to a place of prayer where they would pray. That was their plans. And what do they, what do they encounter? They encounter these women who were praying. We encounter what is called these God-fearing women. Now, we don't know if they're Jewish women that were observing the Sabbath and praying and worshiping together, or whether they were Gentile women who were now trying to follow after the Jewish God, who were actually praying. We're not quite sure, or at least we, I say we, the scholars, they differ, they're not quite sure. But we know that they're following the Jewish scriptures. That's what we know. And they're praying and they're worshiping on the Sabbath. Right? And so what does Paul do? He improvises. Right? We were going to go there and pray. And now here's an opportunity. Here's women actually reading the scriptures. Let's show them what they're, what they're missing. Let's, let's, let's help them see what, what we've seen. And so they adapt their plans to God's plans. Because, see, we, we know God's in Macedonia working. He's the one that's called them there. God is already at work. They're just joining him. They're just ready to improvise where he's working and, and adapt their plans to his. And, and that's what they do. He encounters this woman, we're told, named Lydia, this woman who's wealthy because we know dealing in purple cloth, and from historians we know that if they're dealing in purple cloth, it's an expensive thing, and so she would have been a woman of need. If you think about Lydia, think of maybe modern-day examples like Coco Chanel or Kate Spade or, 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 or Tory Burch. Think, think, think somebody like that, independent businesswoman, wealthy, right? Modern-day evangelists would see this as an opportunity, right? Rich woman, benefactor, right? Paul sees something else. He sees these women who are praying, and he preaches the gospel. And what happens? This woman, Lydia, believes. This woman, Lydia, hears his message and believes. And, and who does that? We're told it's the Lord that opened her heart, right? It was the Lord that overcame this woman's heart, this rich woman, woman of influence, woman of means, who's, who's down there praying, following after the Jewish God, maybe just feeling very secure in things. And yet God overcomes her heart with this message. And not only hers, we're told that her entire household was baptized. Her entire household came to believe. Now, for a modern-day preacher, right, that's a boom. 
right? To find somebody of means like that that will support your ministry, somebody that will, that will actually finance what it is that you're doing, and we find out that's what she actually does. Right? We see that today in the 21st century eyes, and we're like, I'm all with that, right? I'm all for expanding my comfort zone. If that's going to be the outcome, God's going to bless me for being faithful. If God's going to prosper me financially for being faithful, then I'm all for that. Send me into those places. But not so quick. Because things change. Right? God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. The very next scene that we come to is Paul and Silas and, and his friends preaching the gospel and walking around Philippi and and, and looking for ways and looking for where God is working. And who do they encounter? They encounter this young girl, really a, more of like a heckler. Someone who we're told is, is inhabited by this spirit that gives her the ability to see the future. This gift of divination. But she's a slave girl, meaning she's probably somewhere around 14 years old, maybe even younger. And she's being exploited for this. Her slave owners are using her and selling this gift to people, and people are paying a lot of money. I mean, if somebody could tell you your future, we see that today, do we not? People spend lots of money to find out what's going to happen tomorrow. And people spent lots of money. And she was abused for this purpose. But yet this young girl, we're told, for day after day is heckling Paul. Day after day, we're told that she's yelling and screaming, really, at them in this just like awful voice. These men are the servants of the Most High God. Who are you telling, or who are telling you the way to be saved? Over and over and over again, they're following. She's following them around, screaming these words at them. They're true words, but she's annoying. She's pestering them she's like possibly in, in, in like keeping them from their message being heard and and finally we're told paul gets so fed up we're told that he gets so annoyed that he turns around and he says to the spirit in the name of jesus christ i command you to come out of her and at that moment the spirit left her right and we were reading this earlier and, and our teaching team we were reading this and we were reading that first line and Paul became so annoyed that he turned around it's like we don't really like that right that's like Paul annoyed is really a Christian man can you get annoyed like that can you really like lose your temper that really doesn't paint Paul in a really good light does it and, and it's like well no but it, he's human right he means you somebody follows you around at work for like three days screaming at you about your job what are you going to do? Well, you're a Christian, so you're not going to do anything, right? You're just going to be, you know, superhuman. Well, eventually Paul succumbs, right? And he gets so annoyed, he turns around, but he doesn't yell at the girl, he yells at the spirit. Right? He gets so frustrated, he casts and says to the spirit, by the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And, and it does. Right? Paul came, and if he was expecting just to find rich benefactors, that's not what he encountered. He encounters this young woman, this young girl, who's heckling him. He wasn't expecting that. Right? And, and then he's trying to like, like get away from her, but he can't get away from her. And finally, he has enough, and he 
speaks. He speaks God's word to her, right? In the name of Jesus Christ. And what does God do? He overcomes the spirit and casts the spirit out of the girl. Right? This girl had been exploited. This young girl who had been used by these slave owners to, 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 for their gain. Right? Paul, in his annoyance, actually speaks the name of Jesus to this woman. And the spirit leaves and it sets her free. Right? But it was God that set her free. It was, a, it was the name of Jesus. It was his power that set her free. And, and we're like, yeah, that's good. I want to do stuff like that. I want to do stuff like that. But see, on the other side of that, there are the people that were her slave owners, right, that profited from her work, that actually benefited from her work, and they weren't all too pleased. In fact, we're told that they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them to the court, and one of them beaten, one of them arrested, one of them put in prison because they were disrupting Roman commerce. These Jewish people are preaching this message that does not fly in Rome. Right? They're, they're taking our livelihood away from us. They're actually taking taxes out of Caesar's pocket. And we can't live with that. And what happens? They arrest them and they beat them with canes. And then they throw them into prison. And that's where we're like, well, yeah, I don't want that. I'm great at going places and, and, and preaching the gospel and, and, and seeing money come to Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm really encouraged by that. I'm, I'm great about preaching the gospel and seeing oppressed people freed. But if it's going to be at the cost of my being imprisoned and me, being suf me suffering, then I'm not so sure that's what God wants me to do. But remember... God's ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Jesus said, I, I will show him that he will be my instrument, but I will show him how much he must suffer for me. See, God doesn't promise that following him and preaching the gospel and, and setting people free and bringing life will come without cost. There'll be times where we will be looked upon and, and cast out. There'll be times where people will come when we preach the gospel in places that maybe that people aren't ready to hear it in certain places. But yet we see God is working there and we don't know what God is up to, but he's called us that when, when we have the opportunity to preach that gospel, to speak that gospel into the lives of the people that we come into contact with, we look for places where we can actually tell people what God has done for me. We get to bear witness to what Jesus has done for me. That I was dead and now I'm alive. I was lost and now I'm found. I, 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 know I didn't have a people, but now I have a people. This is what God has done for me. And sometimes when we preach that gospel, some people, it, it's really good for us and it's really fun to see, but sometimes it's hard. And so we shirk away from sharing because we can... We can know. Getting, out, getting that far out, expanding our comfort zone that far, I'm not so sure I'm ready for that. But see, when we, when we refuse to like improvise and adapt and just stay in our own circle and, and, and not really, then we forego the opportunity to see God overcome and see life happen as a result. 
See, that night when they were in prison, God's working. Right? We're told that Peter and, or that Paul and Silas are actually in chains, in shackles, and they're singing hymns and they're praising God. He's improvising. I didn't plan on being in prison, <laughs> but while I'm here, I might as well preach the gospel. So he's praising God, and they're praying and singing hymns to God. And, and what happens? A giant earthquake, this violent earthquake comes and shakes the entire prison. In fact, it opens up all of the doors of all the cells. And, and it opens up the eyes of a jailer who was sleeping. Probably an ex-Roman soldier, somebody very honor-bound. And he wakes up and he sees all the cells are open. He figures all the prisoners have gone on his watch. And so the most honorable thing he can do is kill himself. And he draws his sword. But before he can, Paul yells out. He says, no, 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 don't harm yourself. He said, we're all here. Nobody's left. And they, he brings Paul and Silas out. And he looks up to Paul and Silas. And he said, so tell me, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then we're told that Paul spoke the word of the Lord to him and to his entire household. And we're told that the same man that bound him with, with chains and probably participated in the beating now is cleaning his wounds and taking care of him. And, and, and Paul gets to see this jailer, this Roman, ex-Roman soldier and his family come to faith in Jesus. You think about it. How does Paul get to speak to this jailer if he's not in jail? God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts higher than our thoughts. Sometimes we have to be willing to expand our comfort zone and actually improvise and adapt and watch God overcome. If we, if we want to be encouraged, we need to improvise and we need to be ready to adapt because God promises to overcome. God promises to overcome. And so he calls us as followers of Jesus to go and preach the gospel everywhere we go. And sometimes that's going to bring us into places that we, we're like, yeah, he wouldn't want me to go in there. He wouldn't want me to talk to that person. Right? I mean, really? He would never ask me to accept that person into my home or even go into their home. Right? I mean, their lifestyle is so different than mine. And I don't even know if God likes that. I, I don't think he does. I don't even think he likes them. But that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel that woke your heart up, that, that said God loved you while you were still a sinner, while you were still God's enemy. He died for you. While you were Saul, God died for you. We all deserve what Saul deserved. We best not think ourselves any different than him. None of us. And understanding that, we get to go and preach that good news, that life, that God's no longer counting your sins against you, but he's asking you, he wants you to be reconciled through his son Jesus. Because he desires to be with you. He loves you. He created you. And then we're told after all of this, right, what does he do? They go back to Lydia's house. Why? To encourage Lydia and all the other believers. Like, don't be discouraged. Yeah, we got thrown in jail. Yeah, oh yeah, we got beaten. But guess what? The jailer and his entire family came to faith. 
Now tell me, how many of you want to see that happen? I'd really like to see that it happen without the beating and without the suffering. But if that's what it be, then so be it. God's ways are higher than my ways. Right? But the cool thing about being the church is then we get to gather here on the weekend and we get to be encouraged. Right? By what God is doing. As we live our life throughout the week, we come back on the weekend and we get to share where we saw God working. Where we shared God. How we spoke of him. That's why we go to small group. There we really get to talk about how we see God working in our life and who we met this week and how we spoke of God in our workplace and, and the reaction that we got. And we get to encourage one another. We get to encourage one another when we come back and say, yeah, my coworker thinks I'm crazy. Well, that's okay, right? We get to help and comfort one another, right? And we get to encourage one another. It says, you think God really wants me to go and talk to that person, you know, that that, that person in my family, you know, they're living a lifestyle that really doesn't agree with our values. And so should I welcome them? Should I well, tell me? And we get to encourage them with the gospel. So this morning, I'm going to leave you with a story of a young man who really struggled with the church and the church's message because the church didn't really look like its savior. And oftentimes that's the case where we really don't love like Jesus loved. But something changed when he encountered a church that actually preached a message that I think more resembles their savior and more resembles the message that Paul's preaching. So if you would watch this. My parents really kind of brought me into the faith as I was like a small child and kind of instilled that idea that like regardless of exactly how you feel about the church at the time, we're going to be in the church that morning. So if the doors are unlocked, then we're going to be there. And then I went to Concordia, Chicago, where I wanted to be a uh, a pre-seminary student. So I came in uh, with a declared major uh, secondary education in Lutheran teacher education in English. And my first class that I took, uh, I immediately decided that that was not a good decision. Uh, so instead of becoming an educator, I declared as a theater major uh, my freshman year of college and then uh, finished with a double major in theater and communications. And with theater majors at a conservative school, there's a lot of times they feel like they're kind of being squashed in their ideologies, their just opinions and beliefs and their ways of life even. So I had friends that were Lutheran when they were growing up that came to Concordia uh, in the theater program that then uh, subsequently came out before they were at Concordia. And then when they got to Concordia as someone in the Lutheran church that was actively participating in theater, they did genuinely feel like they were just excluded entirely from, uh, from what was allowed within the church, which is kind of sad. I really, at that point in my life, started to separate myself from the church and uh, existed pretty much the entire third and fourth years at Concordia entirely separated from religion. That slight mentality of my parents telling me that regardless of how you feel exactly about the church, if the doors are open, you should be there on Sunday mornings uh, was kind of what got back into my head. So after I graduated from Concordia, I was like, maybe I should start going to church again. Maybe I should look for a church. I came to Trinity Galewood. I think the first sermon I ever actually heard at Trinity Galewood was from a UPIC series on sexuality and the believer. And Dave McGinley, I think handled it with the most finesse I think any Lutheran pastor could have ever handled that topic. Because I had never been told anything that was so incredibly accepting of everyone. And not just specifically to talk about like sexuality and the believer, but it's more like God is for everyone. 
God is genuinely accepting of everyone. And that was probably the first time I had ever heard that. And that was only about three, two, three years ago. So maybe around 23 years old. And I had finally heard for the first time in my life, God is for everyone and wherever you exactly are in your journey. And I specifically myself know that I'm not a perfect person. I am broken so much. But uh, coming to church on Sunday, specifically at Trinity Galewood, just allows me to feel like I am broken, but God wants to help put me back together. And that's just never existed anywhere for me before. So I've really found like a new spiritual home and like a real excitement about my faith again that I've never really had, even growing up in a church that was very excited to serve at. Uh, I've never been genuinely this involved in my faith, in the church, in small group ministry, and just the social connections that exist within a church like uh, Trinity Galewood that serves its community surrounding. encouraging is to see God at work overcoming hearts that were hard and overcoming hearts that were confused but that's what God does it's what he promises to do that's what he's about because he desires to be with us so be encouraged improvise adapt and watch God overcome this week would you pray with me father thank you for uh, the work that you do the overcoming that you do the overcoming that you've done in my heart and the hearts of thousands and millions of people who have put their trust in you. Thank you for overcoming hearts of theater majors and overcoming the hearts of the most callous and those who once hated you now love you. You are a God who brings life where there once was none. You are a God that turns graves into gardens. Father, we come before you this morning and we, we marvel at your patience. We marvel at the lengths that you've come to be with us. And so we pray to you the prayer your son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. And we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.